love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 270. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. It's hard to believe it's the middle of October already. It's nuts. This year is simultaneously flying by and the longest year in the history of mankind. It is the first year that actually took five years mm. to uh, get to October. But for some reason, this month seems to be flying by. Maybe it's because uh, we're looking forward to Halloween. It's true. It's a couple of weeks away. And that it brings up a good point. We've got very little time left for you to submit your Halloween episode stories. Yep. If you had a, an experience that's unexplained, something weird happened to you, Tell your story, record it on your phone, and email it to us at curator at the box of oddities.com. Uh, response this year is, uh, has been great. It's the third year we've done this. Yeah. And if you're new here, I think you're really going to like the Halloween episodes. It's a lot of fun. It's an opportunity for the freaks to tell their stories in their words, in their voice. And uh, we've been tossing around the idea because the response has been so great. Uh, we've been thinking about spicing things up this year, but I don't know if I'm supposed to get into it or not. <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting looks. You're getting, I'm getting over the glasses looks. <laughs> uh, the cutoff for sending in your story is uh, Friday tomorrow. This Friday. Yeah, that the, is the 13th of October. See, that's uh, Friday the 13th. It's a good day to. I'm sorry. The f- no, the 15th. The 16th. 16th. The 16th of October. See, it's Friday the 16th, so it's a good no, Now, Now it just blows my whole Friday the 13th yeah, thing. Sorry, I ruined everything. It's okay. I anyway. that's why I thought it was the 13th. I don't Cause know. Because naturally, I was like, yes, it's Friday. It must be the 13th. Did Michael escape? Sorry. That's okay. Anyway, please share your stories with us. Curator at theboxofoddities.com. Looking forward to hearing your story this year. Who goes first? Me. Oh, okay. Okay. Less than one half mile offshore from Venice, there's a tiny speck of land. It's a desolate island with a dark and twisted past. One that still has such an oppressive atmosphere that people are forbidden to set foot on it today. Oh my gosh. That sounds very exciting. Very mysterious. It's known as one of the most illegal places that... One can go to, although I, you're not supposed to. But How can something be the most illegal? 
That's what it's billed as. The oh, most illegal. I mean, that's not a thing. <laughs> hey, you don't know what Italian law is. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> the island is said to be one of the most haunted places in Italy. Ooh. And even though it's illegal to visit the island of Paveglia. The most illegal. Uh, thrill seekers and ghost hunters still like to, they, they scuttle on out there and... Uh, and sneak onto the island. But everybody who has taken that chance has left with absolutely no desire to go back. Oh, is it like Snake Island? Is it covered in snakes? It's covered in more than snakes. Dolls? Oh, that would be horrifying. No, it's even worse than that. <laughs> Paveglia has a terrifying history going back thousands of years. In, to the days of the Roman Empire. It was used during those days to quarantine victims of the plague in an attempt to protect the rest of the country. They forced the infected people onto the island to live and die in isolation. I have a quick question. Mm -hmm. We've been watching a lot of the early days of Rome and Roman culture and the Roman society uh, at night. Yes, nighttime by, documentaries. By yeah. bedtime. Um, is, that, is this where that came from? Yes. That's what kind of... Uh, I, they alluded to it briefly in, in an episode that we were watching, and uh, I did a deeper dive on nice. it. Nice. Yeah. So they... What they did during the Roman Empire days, when the, when the plague hit, mm -hmm. uh, they would force people out on, onto the island. The infected people were left on the island to uh, to die in isolation. There was no medical help out there. Oh, they, they, they weren't just, going there to be treated just nope. to die? No, it was just a, an Alone. island. Yep. There was nothing out there, just a half mile offshore. That's terrible. Then during the medieval era, the plague returned and killed off nearly two-thirds of Europe's population. And once again, Paveglia was used to segregate the sick and dying from the rest of the country. Dead bodies quickly began to pile up on the island. Thousands and thousands were dumped into large but shallow pits. In many cases, the bodies were burned because we're talking about an island that's about a half a mile across. Oof. It's not that big. Yeah. As the panic grew, some Italian communities started shipping anyone over there who showed even the slightest signs of illness. <gasps> no. So if you weren't ill, you got shipped to an island of, of the ill. If you got a runny nose, they'd send you out there. Many of the people had not even been infected with the plague, but were literally dragged to Pavaglia and dumped atop piles of rotting corpses. Oh my goodness. What a nightmare. A dark negative energy remains, it said, even in the island's soil. I think Italian islands and I think focaccia and white painted buildings mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. everyone's happy and the Italian in Riviera, yeah. And but no, no, it's islands chock full of dead bodies. The only people that are allowed to go there today, legally anyway, are vineyard workers. Paveglia Island happens to host thriving grape vineyards. Oh, jeez. So a small group of brave workers seasonally go out there and harvest the fruit. It's said that the grape vines do so well on the island because the soil is more than 50% composed of human ash and remains. Stop it. Stop it right away. I wonder what that wine tastes like. Dead guy wine. Dead guy wine. Try it now. Um, there was a post on the Fricks group not long ago of honey made from bees that lived in cemeteries. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, that's... 
kind of, you know, kitschy. Mm-hmm. It's like, ho, ho, that's, you know. Cemetery bees. Cemetery bees. But they're not actually feeding on the dead. These grapes are. Yes, yeah. These grapes are. I wonder if the wine that comes from the, those vineyards, w- w- would you pair it up with like, maggot cheese what kind of cheese would go well with that <laughs> i don't think you're supposed to drink when you eat maggot cheese that's asking too much of your body i don't know i think i'd have to be hammered to even consider trying it <laughs> <laughs> this is a valid point but that's how many people have perished and rotted over thousands of years just like those grapes will mm, wine So what could possibly make this island even more creepy and ominous than that? Well, how about building a mental asylum on it? It was opened on the island in 1922. However, the arrival of droves of mentally disturbed patients to the island only strengthened the legend of it being a place to avoid. Um, And because of the isolation and the privacy offered by the island, it allowed disreputable scientists and doctors to do anything they wanted with the patients out there. Because, first of all, it's a half a mile off the coast of Venice. Secondly, it has this reputation of being just an island of rotting corpses. So people didn't want to go there. There was no supervision. These guys did all kinds of crazy stuff. That's terrible. I mean, and there's already such a stigma in during that time oh, yeah. about anything to do with mental illness. So uh, you were pretty much just being thrown away. Yeah. Well, that's what the island was for. It's terrible. Reports of widespread abuse and cruel experiments began to... Uh, to be heard back on the mainland, bringing with them stories of uh, the screams of the tortured souls that are trapped there. There was one particular doctor. This guy was really, I guess, pretty demented. He worked at the mental facility in the early 20th century, and his experiments on patients are still shocking. He believed that lobotomies were a fantastic way to treat and cure all types of mental illness. Mm. So he performed countless lobotomies on patients on the island, most of the time against their will. The procedures were nightmarishly evil and extremely painful. He used hammers and chisels and drills, Mm. no anesthesia, and no concern for sanitation. Of course not. You want to pass me that uh, badly soiled Dremel? These experiments continued for years. The doctor is said to have slowly gone mad himself. Because of all the strange shit that went on in the island. And I feel like you have to be a little bit to begin with to sure. think these. this is a great idea. Yeah. I'm he, just going to be a terrible person and <laughs> conduct experiments on people. And he just, he lived on the island. Our he, nation's most vulnerable. He, he rarely left the island. And so yeah. he was pretty isolated. He was involved in these horrible things. Mm. It said his most diabolical experiments were saved for special patients whom he took to the hospital's bell tower. He would take these people up there, lock the door. Nobody knew what kind of procedure would would take place up there, but very rarely did the patients come back down alive. No one knows for sure what he did, but the screams from those being tortured could be heard across, all across the island. As I mentioned, he is said to have slowly gone mad himself over the years. He started claiming to see ghosts and menacing shadow people. He complained of strange voices chattering away in his head Mm. at all hours of the day and night. It's said that the uh, tortured doctor threw himself off the bell tower. Some accounts say he was thrown by some unseen force or perhaps by the patients themselves. I 
hope that that was the reason. A nurse who witnessed the event claimed that the doctor survived the initial fall, but his twisted, broken body lay on the ground, and it became surrounded by a mysterious mist as he lay there in agony while he slowly succumbed to his uh, injuries. There's a rumor that the doctor's body was bricked up within the walls of the hospital. Why would they do that? That's just some part of a silly Mm -hmm. legend that can't be verified, although this other stuff can be. There were witnesses. Somehow, even after that happened, the asylum remained open for decades afterward. It was finally closed in 1968. Whoa. However, locals to this day claim that on a quiet night, if you're listening closely, you can hear the ringing of the bell tower coming across the water to the mainland. After closing in 1968, the island was sold to a private owner. However, he didn't have it for very long before selling it to another owner. In both instances, the owners could not stand being on the island. The atmosphere was too heavy and morbid. Strange sounds combined with all the hauntings that had been reported, and that continued to uh, prevail. The second family who purchased the island, they bought it for a vacation home. <laughs> they were gonna, they were gonna build a holiday retreat there. Sure. Um, They arrived and they got settled in for the first night. They were camping out the first night. But within hours, they witnessed such horrors that the family fled and they never returned. The father and husband reported to local officials that, uh, and he had to take her to the hospital, his daughter's face had been shredded, nearly ripped off by something that they couldn't see. Oh, wow. So they they thought they were going to pull off like some sort of a walk in the clouds situation (laughs) when instead they got a night of the living dead kind of situation. But with grapes. That was very succinctly put. Visitors to the hospital during its final years of operation, as well as illegal visitors since, have reported terrifying paranormal experiences inside the buildings and on the grounds. Visitors report seeing shadow people moving along with them as they explore the rotting facility, crossing, uh, crossing the hallway from one doorway to another. Just skittily booping yep. across. yep. Several psychics who have illegally visited the island claim that there is an energy that can only be described as malignant. The presence of angry spirits lingering there so deeply frightened these psychics and paranormal experts that most of them refuse to ever return. How is this a selling point for wine? I don't like there are malignant spirits here and the tannins are uh, mm, woody. Yes, has has kind of a floral top note. One thing visitors report experiencing is the sensation of being watched. Other reports, people have said they were scratched or pushed by invisible forces. Some entities have even been said to push visitors into walls or chase them down corridors. With more than 100,000 plague victims and mental patients that are buried on this small island, it's no surprise that human bones continue to wash up on the shores. And not just once in a while. There are so many freaking human bones that wash up that fishermen don't even go near that island because they keep dragging up human bones in their nets. Right, yeah. As a result, the island has been left completely abandoned. 
the facilities, the mental hospital, everything still stands mm-hmm. as it was. Uh, they've tried to sell it off a couple of different times since then. A, an investor actually bought it for like 15,000 euro. It was like a 99-year lease. Mm-hmm. And he had pledged to put something like 20 million into renovating the old hospital into a world-class resort. But um, before he started the renovation, things started happening and he backed out of the deal. Wow. Yeah. I'm sure it's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's beautiful. <laughs> Paveglia holds the dubious ast- distinction of being listed as one of the most illegal places to visit. <laughs> even That's though, not a thing. Even though trespassers know that they'll be prosecuted under Italian law, um, curious sightseers and perhaps maybe some foolhardy travelers from all over the world continue to explore all the possibilities by visiting the island illegally they will charter a boat and go out and hang out with the shadow people i got my material from ranker and atlas obscura and paveglia island is now on my list of must do's (laughs) oh wait it's illegal I still want to go. There's a reason you didn't hear this at the start of the podcast. This is That Thing in the Middle. In these difficult times, um, these times of uncertainty, mm. we all need some self, self-soothing self statements. We need to take care of ourselves. And one way to do that is self-soothing statements. And uh, we found this on Arcane Bullshit. Self-soothing statement number five. Only a diamond-coated bone sword can kill me. Number four, I can never be adequately punished for my crimes. Number three, this is an appropriate level of visible sexual arousal to display at an aquarium. Number two, my opinions about squirrels, though false, are valid. And number one, this 9,000-year-old sarcophagus was already covered in soup when I got here. (laughs) The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. 
And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. The podcast now in a convenient travel size that fits in your pocket or purse. And in three new scents. Freshly cut coconut, summer breeze, and something died in the attic. This is The Box of Oddities. Got a message from Susan. She says, I'm a psych nurse. And there are moments when I wonder if it's really a psychiatric issue that we're dealing with. Religious delusions are common. Often people think they are God Mm -hmm. or that they communicate directly with God or that God communicates through them. Delusions about devils and evil spirits are not as common, but we do see them somewhat regularly. Usually the fact that the person is delusional and experiencing hallucinations is pretty clear, but there have been a couple of times. I had one patient who was with us for quite a while. Despite medication, we had not seen much of any change. Her hallucinations caused her great distress, and it really was upsetting to see because whether or not the hallucinations were real, that was that individual's reality. She was experiencing these horrible thoughts and interactions. Occasionally, with an individual like this, the thought pops into my head, what if, what if this is not a delusion? What if they are not experiencing hallucinations? One night, I was walking by her room, and it was not uncommon to hear her interacting with the unseen, but on this particular evening, when I walked by, there was a completely different voice coming out of her mouth. I had never heard her use a different voice before. But this was, imagine the voice of an evil spirit coming out of the mouth of the person who is possessed. It was a low, quiet, deep, gravelly voice. Now, let me tell you, in psych, we see some shit. (laughs) We don't get freaked out easily. If you did, you wouldn't last. But that spooked me. I had to wonder what that woman was really experiencing. We continued to make modifications in her meds until she finally started to improve. She still had those hallucinations, but they were more in the background, and she could talk about them in more reality-based ways. I was very glad to see her doing better and not appearing to be tortured 24-7. But I have to wonder, did our medication fix a psychological issue, Mm. or did it somehow dull the experiences she was having with something we just don't understand? I don't have a strong belief regarding the existence or non-existence of the supernatural. I definitely don't claim to know, but I definitely have to wonder. Thanks, Susan. Whew. Yeah. Yeah, that's got to be hard, especially when you're dealing with someone who, as they said, uh, you know, obviously that's their reality. Yeah. And you're seeing it day after day and you're kind of immersed in it. That's got to be really hard to kind of grapple with someone experiencing that kind of emotional strain. I would think. Glad she's doing better, though. For sure. Thank you for doing the work that you do. That's hard. Yeah. That's hard. I just know. I was just like, Couldn't can I it, yeah. can I read things on the air for you? <laughs> can I do that instead? My grandfather, uh, when he was 96 years old and he was in a nursing facility, 
I went to visit him shortly before he passed away, and he was telling me about how in the room next to him, for a number of nights, he could hear like some sort of satanic mass being uh, oh. being performed and taking place, that, that they were doing something evil over there, sacrificing patients and weird things like that. Was the building subletting? Like, so like half of it was a <laughs> no. nursing facility? Like a strip was, mall. Yeah. yeah. No? No, no. Oh. And um, come to find out, his potassium levels were off. Oh. With something as simple as that. That's nuts. Yeah. If you don't eat bananas, Satan's going to get you, is what I learned from that. Yeah. That's what my grandma always said. <laughs> yeah. You got something for me? Yeah. I'm hoping. Okay, cool. All right. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know this is rough. And if you are not someone who wants to listen to something that is terrible, uh, maybe this isn't the story for you. It does involve murder and uh, dismemberment. July 2015. A couple were out for a walk with their dog when the dog's attention was directed toward what looked to be a shower curtain with something wrapped inside. Oh, no. Oh, no. A couple unraveled the packet to find a headless and limbless butchered torso. Oh, man. All right, so let's go back in time, shall we? That'll ruin a Sunday stroll. It's, uh... 1947. Tomorrow Samsonova was born in April in the city of Usar in Russia. After university, she moved to St. Petersburg, where she married Alexei Samsonov. In 1971, she and her husband settled in a new place on Dimitrov Street. For some time... She worked as a travel agent, in particular working for the Grand Hotel Europe. She looked after her appearance, uh, according to a neighbor, and had this weird habit of sitting topless with her back to the apartment window, making sure that her silhouette was able to be seen by the neighbors. Huh. It was said that Samsonova also boasted about her excellent English and German skills. So she was... So she was a multilingual Russian exhibitionist? Yes. Okay. In 2000, Samsonova's husband disappeared, and she appealed to the police, but searches yielded nothing. She talked with neighbors, and they got the impression that he may have left to pursue a relationship with another woman. Mm -hmm. After her husband's disappearance, Samsonova began renting out her room in the apartment. In March 2015... Samsonova met 79-year-old Valentina Nikol... Oh, I don't need to say that middle name. It's real hard. 79-year-old Valentina Yulanova, who lived in the same apartment building. A friend of the two had asked Yulanova to shelter Samsonova for a time due to the fact that uh, Samsonova's apartment was being renovated. Yulanova agreed, and Samsonova lived there uh, for several months. A social worker reported Valentina Yulanova as missing after she came to their apartment and Samsonova refused to allow her into the flat. Hmm. It was right around this time that people and their dogs found this weird bag full of body parts. So police obviously reported to the scene of this shower curtain 
filled with torso and uh, also started studying surveillance cameras that uh, had been surrounding the the building. And it captured footage of what appeared to be an elderly woman disposing of a large saucepan outside, as well as footage of an elderly woman dragging what appeared to be large garbage bags to the side of the building just two nights prior. Yeah, it's not too suspicious. No. Yeah. Police identify that woman as 68-year-old Tamara Samsonova. Although, throwing the saucepan away, that's not too unusual. No, we, we've we, done that on many occasions. We leave something in the fridge way too long. and mm-hmm. we, just, we don't need that pan anymore, no. do we? No. No, we just put it in the woods. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> it's so irresponsible. That happened one time. And that was my birthday gift. Mm-hmm. All right, so a team of investigators went to check out Samsonova's apartment, and they found blood in and around the kitchen and bathroom, as well as a large kitchen knife, also the fastenings from a torn-off shower curtain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. After this, Samsonova was immediately arrested. She was detained, and police went to search the killer's own flat, uh, because, again, she was staying with Yulanova at the time. Mm-hmm. In her apartment, they found a diary, or several diaries, actually, written in German, English, and Russian, which provided a lot of road bumps. What are the, what's the word? Road Speed bumps? bumps? Speed bumps. Speed <clears throat> obstacles to translating. Mm. So it was kind of a mishmash of all three languages. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's kind of clever, actually. In the diaries, uh, it showed that the relationship between Samsonova and Yulanova had devolved. And in her interrogation, Samsonova said that the victim said, I am tired of you. She asked her to leave and go back to her own apartment. Now, one of the entries in Samsonova's diary makes clear that she really liked living with Yulanova. Um, She called her Valya. And at one point she wrote, I love Valya. But after another conflict, she decided that it was time to poison Yulanova. So Samsonova traveled to Pushkin, where she managed to persuade a pharmacist to sell her prescription drug, Phenazepan. Upon returning to the city, she bought an Olivier salad, uh, which is apparently one of Yulanova's favorite dishes. She put the pills in the salad and gave it to her unsuspecting friend. She liked it very much, she said during an interrogation. She admitted that by killing her, she told the police, uh, she could live there in peace for another five months or so until relatives turned up or someone else turned up looking for her. So why didn't she want to live in her apartment? She didn't want to. She just wanted this other person's apartment and killed him for it. Well, yeah. Okay. All right. I just want to make sure I'm following this. Okay. She didn't want to go back to her apartment, and she was sad that Yulanova didn't want her to live with her anymore. Okay. All right. I'm sure you're going to tell so us why. So she poisoned her potato salad. <laughs> That's awful. Do we find out why she didn't want to go back to the apartment, or is it just like she preferred the interior design? Well, her apartment was being renovated. Okay. But... She liked living with Yulanova. Okay. But, but she killed her. Listen... I feel like you're trying to figure this out. Yes, of course I am. I get it. I get it. But she's not well. Okay, fine. I'm she's listening. a murderer. I'm listening. Things aren't going right in there, mm-hmm. as is generally the case. Right. 
She told no, normal people don't poison potato salad. That's right. Or any type of mayonnaise-based salad, for that matter. Yeah. She told police, I woke up after 2 a.m. and she was lying on the floor unconscious. So I started cutting her to pieces. She severed her head, which wow. she put into a large saucepan so, and cooked it on her stove. She was still alive when she was cutting her up. Yeah. Oh, my God. While police have said that they've not ruled out that she also consumed part of Yulanova, it is thought it could be possible she boiled the head, hands, and uh, feet to as part of some sort of hiding the victim's identity. Sure, okay. She explained how she wrapped Mrs. Yulanova's dismembered body parts in curtains and put them in bags before carrying them out and dumping them near the pond. She went outside seven times in total, it showed on the CCTV cameras. Uh, the figure in the blue raincoat was filmed up and down the block, dragging the bags, leaving blood marks in some cases on the floor. Oh, my God, that is so creepy. The diary, in addition to all of this terrible, terrible stuff, included s details that the police did not expect. There was allegedly an entry in there that said, I killed my tenant, Volodya. I cut him into pieces in the bathroom with a knife and put the pieces of his body in plastic bags and threw them in different parts of the Frozensky district. Oh, so she was an old hand at this. It was not her first time. Oh, God. Um, I'm really wishing I had done some sort of trigger warning because I said this is a rough one. And <laughs> I'm sorry that I didn't think about that until halfway through. I'm going to retroactively put a trigger warning in... Before we get started, I wanted to let you know, this is rough. And if you are not someone who wants to listen to something that is terrible, uh, maybe this isn't the story for you. It does involve murder and uh, dismemberment. Okay, where was I? The entry in that diary matched a murder case belonging to a 44-year-old man whose torso was discovered in 2003 in that district that she mentioned. The case went cold when police were unable to bring any leads uh, to find the killer. The tattoo on Volodya's body was also mentioned in the journal, which matched the one on his body. I mean, there wasn't a lot of concern that, oh, maybe she didn't have anything to do with this. It's pretty clear. Pages from a black magic book found in her apartment uh, were found to have been ripped out. Those pages were found with this guy's torso oh, as my well. Oh, God. Wow. Okay. All right. There's some bonus pug snortles for you because this, this is rough. All right. Get down. Proceed. So at this point, authorities are also investigating whether Samsonova ate parts of her victims. Uh, sources in the investigative committee, Russia's leading serious crime unit, said that uh, the internal organs, in particular the, the lungs, were removed from the bodies of the victims mm. and were not accounted for. A neighbor had also made note that this woman had a interesting almost obsession with another Russian serial killer who was also a cannibal and uh, thought that he could get some sort of power uh, from the victims that he consumed. I see. And a neighbor had made mention that Samsonova was concerned that she had failing lungs. Oh. 
But again, a lot of that is chitter chatter. So hard to say for sure if that is for realsies. When asked by reporters if police believed that the lungs were removed for the purpose of cannibalism, they said it is not excluded from our line of inquiries. Samsonova told police that she killed two male lodgers who had lived with her in the past, drugging them again and cutting them up. One man, who they know rented a room from her, though they suspected dead, he was found alive and is now a witness in the case and is able to tell about his experience staying with her and not being murdered, uh, which is an unusual thing for her tenants. Yeah, the diary had written entries that gave police detailed descriptions about murders dating back 20 years. Holy shit. Police are also examining whether she killed her husband, who had vanished 15 years ago, you might remember. A neighbor, Marina Marina Krivenko, said that Samsonova told her that her husband had left home and did not come back. At that moment, she recalled, I noticed some kind of pleasure in Tamara's eyes. Hmm. Krivenko also admits that Samsonova borrowed her hacksaw some years ago and never returned it. What must that feel like? I don't know. Oh, well, we do know a guy whose wheelbarrow was borrowed oh my God, that's for right. a murder. That's right. And was not returned. Our neighbor. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Yeah. That's right. The guy was one of his tenants mm-hmm. and um, murdered somebody and dumped the body in the dumpster. And it was on the, the surveillance footage. And, and Tim's like showing me the surveillance. He's like, that's my wheelbarrow, brother. That's terrible. I don't think he ever got that wheelbarrow back. No, I think it's still in the evidence locker. The good thing is that it wasn't a a difficult process figuring out who the the murderer was and he was, you know, justice did prevail. Oh, yes. Yeah. So that's important. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Samsonova pleaded guilty saying she deserved the punishment she was going to receive. It is said that she suffers from some sort of mental illness, uh, and she was forced to take a forensic psychiatric exam in 2015. The results did determine that she was a danger to society and herself, uh, but it wasn't clear about exactly how and, and what she suffered from. She was placed in a specialized institution until the end of the investigation. In December 2015, she was sent for compulsory psychiatric treatment in a specialized hospital. During her trial, while uh, reporters came to, you know, take photos and and speak with her lawyers and such, uh, during which Samsonova blew them kisses. Oh, my God. That is so creepy. And that is the story of who they call the Russian Granny Ripper. The Granny Ripper. All right. It's a cool name. I'll give you that. But uh Holy crap. Yeah, it's terrible. That's really it's awful. It's terrible. And it's I think sometimes because the stories are so like sensational and you don't hear about this kind of thing a lot and mm. it's so far outside of the realm of what we would consider like the norm mm. that it is a little uh spectacular and scandalous but please don't think that I am glib about this having happened it is terrible yeah i just punched the microphone i'm so upset i'm sorry 
And then on top of it all, you don't get your hacksaw back. All right, all right. Wow. I'm glad I didn't do the um, topic that I originally had planned because it's very similar in oh. uh, subject matter. Okay. This would have been a, a gore fest if I had. So look forward to that in an upcoming episode. <laughs> Uh, We look forward to seeing you guys next time. Oh, and don't forget, we are looking for any submissions for the Halloween special. Last chance this week. Boop, boop. Record your story and email it to us, curator at theboxofoddities.com. And in the subject matter, put Halloween story. We're really looking forward to hearing them. And we want to be able to have your story as part of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> we start production on, on it next week, so get it in while you can. And we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And don't hand out your hacksaw willy nilly. All higgledy piggledy. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report. To beseech you for assistance, we ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020 All Rights Reserved If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science. And as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.